0: December eleventh, a Friday, and you're back with another edition of Kentucky Politics Weekly. I'm your host, as always, Trey Watson, joined by Tom Stevens. Tom, how you doing, buddy?
1: Good, Trey. How are
0: you? Oh, doing better today. We we went to tape this yesterday. That's uh, posted on Twitter. Uh, Morgan McGarvey was supposed to have State Senate Minority Leader Morgan McGarvey on yesterday, and uh, he uh, had a couple work things come up and uh, real job, not legislative job, and uh, uh, couldn't couldn't hop on with us. He's going to be with us on. Tuesday, a res- rescheduled podcast. But uh uh we we're still gonna do a show yesterday and man toothache. I just I couldn't even I mean for anybody that knows me, for me to say that my tooth hurts bad enough that I couldn't talk, that was you know you know it's bad. So uh feel better today. We are we are back in the saddle and gonna plow through some news for you heading into the weekend. And uh Tom where we want to start because there's a whole bunch of stuff that we haven't really gotten to the last last couple of days because we kind of focused on Thursday on Tuesday Senator Thayer um a lot of a lot of news to get to though uh i guess we probably start with you know or we usually start the show with covid um <laughs> um Andy Bashir uh you know we we had a record 4300 cases in Kentucky yesterday but it's okay because uh, it's time to reopen the, the bars and restaurants
1: it's man the the consistent inconsistency is is the strongest like line that's out there. Did the, I say that right? You
0: know, I had I had several people tell me that they thought that the what they believed was that Bashir was reinstituting the closing the schools and reinstituting the restaurant ban and everything and was and, and I was told when it happened, it's probably only, only gonna be for a month. And frankly, he already knows that the numbers are are peaking and are going to start uh, declining. And now I'm not saying the total number, because I think I do think that we've, we're seeing an increase in numbers, both because of Thanksgiving and because of the way that the tests are done and then reported, because there's, there's a lag time, not just in you contracting the coronavirus, but there's a lag time in reporting the tests back up to the state. So it's not like if you take a test today, you're not going to be in the numbers that are reported tomorrow. Because it has to go through the, the the testing facility, then it has to go through the health department, then it gets reported up to the state. So there's a the whole thing. Um, so the, the, there's a lag in these numbers. But I, I'd heard that they they thought he's going to reopen it because he, he's going to say, you know, the numbers we're seeing behind the scenes, underlying numbers are are indicating that we're getting through this, and that they they already knew that
1: going in, and and you know. Then he could claim, well, see, look what we did worked. It's dropping. So you're saying basically a significant portion of this was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. an op- politically opportunistic sort of. Yes. Okay. Believe it or not.
0: Um, so anyway, <laughs> <People> <laughs>
1: rest- I'm sure people will be shocked to hear that coming from you.
0: Yes. Uh, restaurants reopening schools are not. But he has kind of given a a path. You know, again,
1: I think I said it's an several- impossible, it's impossible path.
0: Well, I mean, the, the path is basically if you're if you're in a red county, you can still open. You just have to a offer virtual learning for every student. I guess mm-hmm. there, there must have been problems where some some smaller classes like AP classes were saying, oh, no, we're, we're, you know, we're going to go all in person. So if, if you were in that class, you had to go. Gotcha. And I think every class has to. And I, I would think that would probably be more of an issue for smaller enrollment high school classes. Uh, special classes more more so than it would be for like a third grader, um, and I mean, those and types of
1: classes lend themselves infinitely better to uh, remote, yeah, education. But uh, you yeah. know,
0: and, and and also they have to have you know, and it's a broadly defined. I'm assuming there'll be some more specifics coming out at some point. But basically, you have to be able to have PPE. And protections available sure. for, both, for both teachers and students um so you know there is a path there and you know this kind of reminds me tom of i think i said this before it reminds me of, of several years ago I remember we should live in our old house so it was before 2015 there was a big there was a big snow winter we had a we had a bunch of snow and and really cold winter and fayette county was canceling school in like november because it was not because it was weather or the roads were unsafe it was like You know, four degrees out, and they said it was unsafe for kids to be at bus stops. And then, fast forward to we had like a late snow hit in maybe late February, early March, and it was actually colder than it had been when they canceled school before. And there was snow and ice in the ground, but they had run out of 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 weather days, and it was just like, screw it, they're going. We we used up all our days,
1: (laughs) consistently inconsistent and the application of the rules that they made.
0: Yeah, and so I, I feel like this is a lot of that same situation. It's, you know, they they didn't moderate their position and come back to the middle earlier, and now it's like, oh, we're still in the red, you know, record numbers, but screw it. We got to get in school. Let's start so, it, and they're going to end up in a, in a more dangerous situation than, than they would have been otherwise.
1: Well, again, multi-tiers, right? So the private parochial schools have demonstrated that they are particularly adept, candidly, they're smaller. They have different financial resources. They're they, also adept less, at-
0: they also have less regulations governing their operation, whether it's due to state laws or union deals or, or whatever. There's just there's less strings on what a private school can can do.
1: Okay, so then or, you come, or ask, you ask can, their employees to do. And you contrast that with a, a large public institution. Like what is fake? Or is it Henry Clay High School is the largest school in the state or it's top two or three I have no something, idea. I think it's something like 2,600 students in a building that I think was made for maybe 1,800, maybe. And that's with additions and add-ons to it. Um, if only there was a way to look up information like that immediately. Lafayette,
0: you're thinking of Lafayette.
1: Really? It is, it, yes. Lafayette, Lafayette is, is by enrollment uh,
0: as 2,293 students. Okay, well, I, I mean, I'm only
1: off by a factor of like 20%. So okay, I <laughs> just flushed that example down the down the toilet. I'm not scared to run for my bad numbers. Yeah. Um, if you look at it on a paradigm, how about this, uh, or on a, on, a, on a line, and you look at, theoretically, the closest to the government, the highest level of intervention that's available should be the safest right now. That's the areas that they have the most control, command over, and ability to apply resources and surge. So what's the, what's the, that would be schools, that would be, um, and I say schools, I mean public schools, that would be prisons, jails veterans homes long-term care facilities and then all the way at the other end of the spectrum a religious institution has the least government oversight a, a religious school the least amount of oversight and it's the exact opposite the things that are closest to the administration of government have had the most difficulty and have the worst rates of you know covid recovery response infestation you know, it, and so I think everybody needs to scratch their head. It seems to me, private sector decisions have been better.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you would think you would you would take something like say a, a especially like, say a prison where you know even <laughs> beyond public schools you you know you, your your population has less ability to push back on things that you want to do. You would think that you'd take situations like that where the government has control and try to use them to set the example for how other types of institutions should operate. And that just, that hasn't happened.
1: You've got complete control there. So let's say we were going to go back in-person instruction public schools after january i guess january 4th is sort of the natural date to come back in is that like a monday tuesday after the holiday uh, uh,
0: i think so a faint county has said they're getting, they're getting going to the 7th
1: yeah that was kind of a head scratcher when they started doing that and it was still like 30 days away i didn't anyway so they come back right um you look at and they've got those rates and we've got the charts and the different levels of 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 outbreak that are, that are built in there, whether or not you can, for example, be in school. Well, is there, are they not going to, to, it's like bell curve style. Okay. There's certain institutions that are on the edge of the bell curve. So you almost need to drop it out. Should long-term care facilities impact your number? Think about a small county. Think about, I think, I think, I think it was, um, it was Senator Wise that uses an example where they had an uh, an outbreak in the county in a long-term care facility, but the rest of the county's numbers were, were good. So think about a Fayette County. Not only do you have the university system, but you've got, it's a hub of health care for particularly central and eastern Kentucky. Add to that um, long-term care facilities and other things. Should we be counting those numbers in full force in, a, in an impact when really what we're trying to do is balance the other competing interests, the small businesses, the restaurant industry. Um, and I don't know, it seems like those are the types of accommodations that nine months in, we ought to be figuring out a more novel way to, to massage that data and, and get better outcomes. I just don't feel like we are right now. Well, I think that's something we've,
0: we've started saying early on in this time. We've been saying for months on, on the pod is, you know, it, one, one infected person walks into a nursing home and you've all of a sudden got a spike in your numbers. It doesn't indicate that, the state's done something wrong or the the people live in the state have done something wrong or there's some larger problem. One person infected person walks in a nursing home and boom, you got an outbreak that's going to pump your numbers by anywhere from 60 to 100 or or more. So it's it it is hard to tell just looking at raw numbers without any level of context on where they're coming from behind them. You know, and that's also why contact tracing uh, is is important. Is it's hard to make and and you know, some of these conservatives who hate all the contact tracing stuff, guess what? Some of these steps that are, that they're at the government's asking you to do, they could probably not be necessary if everybody was complying with contact tracing efforts. Because if we knew where they're coming from, then we could prove, oh, you know, it's only coming from these four or five things that need to be more closely monitored or regulated. Then everything else could could operate as normal. But you know, we're just there, there's I think. And, and this one I'll give the government somewhat of a pass uh, in, in this, I'm not talking Andy Bashir government necessarily, but, but government in general ev- everywhere, they just, they're, they're working on incomplete data. And, you know, if, if we had more, if people were more compliant with the contact tracing stuff, then they could probably make better decisions on, you know, clearly we have a problem here, but not over here. And right now it's, you know, Beshear's based decisions on like numbers kind of other states. It's like, well, you know, Minnesota's having a problem with restaurants. So we need to close our restaurant. No, that, that, that doesn't work that way. Well,
1: it feels, it feels like a lot of people involved are gaming numbers. Yeah, And I know, I mean, you know, all statistics, right? I mean, I, let me tell you something, Trey, the other, the other night, um, following a, a business um, outing, uh, an associate of mine and I stopped at a local establishment, in Lexington. Uh I won't I want to identify the but among the things that they do is they they run restaurants and bars and taverns and so forth. And these folks have set up a I mean like a Taj Mahal in front of their main uh restaurant facility. It's a big tent. I don't know, I'm going to I'm going to throw out and say it's every bit of 6,000 7,000 square feet. Eh, maybe not that much. Let's let's go half. these. let's say it's 5,000 square feet, okay? I mean it's a big footprint. They've built it up, It's like on, it's got a floor, it's got walls. Um, some of the walls have been exposed on different sides. I, number of heaters inside the building, uh, a dozen, 18, extraordinary number, staff running in and out. Uh, I was told over the weekends, we were, we were at this place on Monday, I was told over the weekends that this place had an hour and a half backup on Saturday for people that were coming in there and dining. I have no idea what this establishment has spent on this infrastructure but it's a building. It's basically a barn that's been constructed on a temporary basis out in front of this restaurant. I I struggle to think in the situation. And I give them, I give this, this institution a ton of response props. They're working on the the rules they were given. And they are staffing it. Tons of staff. They're paying these people. It's the holidays. They're keeping their team on that. That's strong. And I, I genuinely think that that that's remarkable under the circumstances, but I'm looking at this and Trey, I don't know why you wouldn't just utilize the facilities. Yeah. I mean, crack the door. I mean, some of these places, I mean, there's there's a garage door style doors on on parts of the actual building structure that's attached to it. It's crazy, man. And they've just spent, gosh, I don't know, this tent, let's say it's $10,000 a week to rent this, plus all the secondary, plus the generators, plus the diesel fuel, plus everything else they're using on it. I don't think that's a good use of scarce resources for everybody right now. Better use of scarce resources would be keeping people on the payroll. Yeah. You know, and, access to their health insurance, access, to, and so it just it just seems that it's not well thought out. Not that not at this point. Keep so at twenty five percent; you'd still be doing better than what you were making them build these monstrosities. It's all, uh, it, it's 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 hard but, to chat but, around.
0: But but again, when 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 you're not including people like the Kentucky Restaurant Association in your in your decision making process, you're going to end up with decisions that that don't that aren't as, as effective as you would have hoped that they would be. Um,
1: this is a group here that's sort of turning into a franchise type operation. It didn't, it's not a franchise here, but it's, it's like being franchised maybe outside of central or even outside of Kentucky. And so I wonder, you know, the, this, these big entities have such a better ability to, to surge or flex and deal with this. Whereas like, ain't no mom and pop in the world that can keep open and, and compete with this. Um, deep breath. Sorry. Whatever. <laughs> Another another thing
0: being affected by COVID, of course, is uh, college basketball. There is uh, are we closing down? Almost endless delays. It seems like uh, Kentucky's game on the fifteenth against Detroit Mercy has been uh, postponed <laughs> again.
1: <laughs> How long are they going to try to like book that game with Brad Calipari there?
0: I have no idea. But you know, Coach K has basically said, "Why are we even doing this? This makes no sense." Jay Wright from Villanova is said, "You know, we're we're doing what what we what we're told, but you know, we have no control of the NCAA." Uh, you have other coaches pushing back hard on cat on, on coach K on that one. Um, you know, what do you think,
1: man? His basically the premise of this was that you could push back a few weeks, um, let the kids go home for the holidays, then bring them back, quarantine them and get them up to play like a delayed, um, conference schedule.
0: if anything, I'd, I'd quarantine them now, let the rest of campus go home and, you know, you could start playing games with. Nobody on campus, which
1: would cut down spread a little bit. Speaking of spread, I mean, it's, it's like heavy gaming interest or gambling interest. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: No kidding. Uh,
0: well, and, and there's actually a column out on the uh, on the uh, athletic this morning from David Aldridge saying that uh, he thinks the NBA should delay their start. And I know, that there, you know there's been some superstars that have been uh, very uh, uh, frustrated with the NBA's kind of accelerated start. They're they're supposed to start playing uh, uh preseason games today. Uh, spe- speaking of, wh- speaking of which, speaking of
1: which, like 15 minutes ago,
0: speaking of which, best wishes to to uh, former UK guard Malik Monk who uh, tested positive
1: for coronavirus yesterday. So. Oh, that sucks. Where does Monk play now? Uh, the Hornets still Hornets. Yeah.
0: Okay. Oh, sorry, sorry. He had he had Corona. I I'm, I'm re- misread that story, and he's but he's now recovered, received medical clearance, and could begin practicing as soon as this weekend. Okay. Um, yeah, Chicago, I, I, you know, who knows what this college basketball season is going to look like. Uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of weird results. UK's one and three Dukes lost two home games. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a strange season already. I, you know, I just don't. And, and, and at some point in time, <laughs> of course this, 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 this may be the thing that that Corona maybe it's going to change a lot of stuff permanently, but hell, this may be the thing, Tom, that permanently ends the uh, delusion we're all under that. This is, this is about being a student athlete, you know, cause it, it, all right. Are these people athletes who are producing money for the university that they desperately need? So they got to keep playing. Or is the university's main mission to educate students and athletics are a side project of that and we're going to make decisions that are (laughs) that are best for the for student education as a whole you know not just players and team but all the players at the university i mean clearly the right decision for for students and for education is (laughs) to not play these games but they all got massive they got massive tv contracts massive sponsorship deals at a time when the universities are hemorrhaging cash and desperately need that money in the door Yeah. it's Can we finally go ahead and get rid of the delusion that we're all under that these people are anything but paid athletes?
1: Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I, I didn't used to, I mean, um, in my youth and inexperience, I I felt differently about it, but I, I think now the idea that at least, you know, whether it's nominal compensation, whether it's some sort of advertising split that's maybe somehow they can split up amongst players on a team. I mean, I definitely think that there's ways that they can do it. And I think that the players are entitled to it. I mean, land of the free home of the brave shouldn't be able to deny um, these young men and women who are rising stars, the opportunity to benefit from their own accomplishments. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's insane. <laughs> I'm not saying like, I, I don't know that I would be comfortable like going all in. Cause part of it is I think that this, this is like that, that between process where somebody that's going from kind of really being a kid to being an adult. And there's an opportunity in there. I, I think the opportunity for a lot of bad things to happen is there too. I mean, the, the opportunity to lose, lose control of your brand and your image. And let's be honest. I mean, at 18, I mean, how much do you truly need your brand getting out there <laughs> in the world of social media and everything else, but there's gotta be kids ought to they ought to get some remuneration for it because lord knows the universities are
0: yeah i mean and there's ways you can structure it where it's you know it's all deferred goes into a a trust or something under your name Yeah, there's there's ways you can ways you can massage that to 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 make it
1: i think about my dad when he was in rotc before um going to flight school and going to vietnam i mean he because he was in rotc he received a stipend every month gave him the ability to you know have walking around money go out on a date and do those things and to me it's similar albeit um, I'm going to guess that the uh, the the numbers are quite a bit different <laughs> than what's proposed now that your average kid in ROTC.
0: probably probably <laughs> um uh, some news close to home kentucky uh rick green the uh the publisher or the editor of the Courier Journal is stepping down. He's been in the paper for about two and a half years. Uh, courier obviously won a Pulitzer in 2020 uh, under his uh, his leadership. He has spent 33 years uh, with Gannett, uh, and I, I'm, I've been seeing a lot of press tweets. Uh, I guess they must have gone through another round of buyouts recently, um, and Green, after 33 years of Gannett, took the buyout. So uh, the Courier will be uh, picking up a new editor here soon.
1: Uh, yeah, well, let me let me just dust off my resume. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sure you'll be uh, first in line of consideration, Doug.
1: The funniest thing about when that story came out yesterday is I clicked on it and I couldn't get to it because it was behind the paywall. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. um, a letter has come out from, uh, uh, I guess, filed in support of, of a brief of the Attorney General of Texas, who is... Okay trying to go to the Supreme court to overturn Joe Biden's win and a, a, kind of an astounding 106 members of Congress of the house of the house of, uh, have signed on the letter in support, including a number of us senators, uh, kind of proud to say that none of Kentucky's delegation has signed on. It's just this, this is, I'm going to say it again, yeah. folks. I've said it, I think every other podcast or so since it happened, Joe Biden won the election, folks. There was no, <laughs> there was no conspiracy. Uh, Dominion election machines did not m- malfunction or change votes. There was not widespread fraud. Joe Biden is your next president. It's time to give it up.
1: Yeah, uh, as somebody that's been involved with a number of uh, election integrity efforts, I would the, the best um, best protection you have against worries about. Um, you know electioneering and chicanery which is there's there's another way that it's frequently described in the biz but um it's to win by a lot so (laughs) um that's really i mean that's 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 your guarantee and and and, you know and and and,
0: and (laughs) the supreme court is what struck down another another challenge yesterday eight eight to nothing so it's like well I, i was told by liberals that Packing the court with all these federalists was a way to advance a coup that was going to happen after the election. Tom, where, where's 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 my federalist associate, federalist society backed coup? Where is it, Tom?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's actually a way to make sure that the uh, the third branch of government actually enforces laws instead of trying to make them.
0: Yeah, uh, it's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, we see it
1: over and over and over. I just, it's yeah.
0: Uh, um, staying on Congress. That it appear, appears that uh, the COVID nineteen deal is kind of stuck in neutral at the moment. Of course, they've got to get a continuing resolution done today, or else we have a government shutdown tomorrow. So yeah. they gotta got to get this through
1: that. in with the the what's it the uh, defense reauthorization yep. bills tied up in this,
0: which which Trump has threatened to veto if it doesn't
1: basically declare him president. And...
0: <laughs> <sighs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if it passes,
1: I mean, it looks like there's pretty. Significant majority. Uh, no, there,
0: there is the Republicans yeah. have, especially in the Senate, have more than enough votes to overcome a over, override a veto. So it, there's not a problem there. Um, but you know, it is slowing down the COVID COVID relief bill. Uh, both McConnell and Pelosi have said they're going to pass something this year, even if they have to stay through Christmas. Um, you know, it, it's funny though. I'm I'm seeing opposite reporting because yesterday there was a piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, the day before yesterday, rather, there was a piece of the Wall Street Journal about how McConnell had backed off his demand that liability reform be included in the uh, in the COVID relief package, and it, kind of in exchange for Democrats dropping the uh, uh, dropping the uh, uh, direct relief for state and local governments. Uh, Now, the AP piece that her leaders carrying this morning says that no, no, that's that's, you know, McConnell's scaled back his demands for liability reform, but he still wants no direct relief to state and local governments. So, you know, I'm not sure where that stands exactly. Uh, It, you know, but the problem here is this is all coming on anonymous sources leaking stuff out of conversations. So God knows what it what, what the where the truth actually lies. You know, I i I agree completely with senator mcconnell that we can't allow you know the covid relief package that the intention is not to bail kentucky out of our pension issues
1: you know, mean, that, that, that that would be great <laughs> um, but yeah
0: the you know the, the goal here is to is to reset the you know re- reset the board to zero and get you back to where you were pre-covid not to bail you out from other bad decisions which is kind of what the, the democrats in the house want to do they want to they want to bail local governments out for, for much broader issues. Uh, you start
1: bailing at our pension and then you start looking at Illinois's pension, California's pension.
0: Well, uh, and just, you I, know, there's
1: so many other secondary issues to that. I mean, I,
0: I mean, I think McConnell's point is if a government has made, if a, if a governing body has made bad decisions over the last 30 years on any number of issues, not just, not just pension, any number of issues, you know, the guise of COVID relief is not the time to, for the federal government to attempt to step in and pay for those pay us off those
1: props. That's just not, it's not, it's not what we're doing here, man. It's not the point of this. Well, I mean, there's, there's some optimism in certain corners, I think. What, a uh, um, Trey, have you looked at the, the man of the, or I'm sorry, the person of the year selection from time magazine?
0: I have not. Did that just come out?
1: Yes, it did. Who, uh, uh it, it would be, uh, uh the, team of biden and harris oh
0: i did see that yesterday yeah last night
1: so i, I had a number of people that they had a uh, another candidate that they had been pushing uh only known as wood
0: <laughs> yeah all right anyway next <laughs> um yeah t- t- time man of the year is just yeah. I, I mean should they just give it to covid in general just like they, they've done that before, haven't they? Given it to a to a thing rather than a, a yeah, an such, actual person.
1: It's such a garbage like news angle. Uh, you know, I'm surprised they didn't do a a Fauci or whatever. They've got their narratives that they have to do. Then they can do like a top ten candidates for you know person of the year. They can do whatever. So. Does Time even publish an actual any, anything on actual paper today? I, I don't or is know. Is it fully electronic?
0: I think it might be fully electronic. I mean, I know Newsweek is a, is a zombie publication with the column that basically exists as a name and then it's like crazy articles.
1: <laughs> I used to read Newsweek. And so, like, I used to like to read lot. Yeah. They had that. that, And uh, remember them and US News and World Report? I used yep. to read those suckers religiously.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. uh, Hunter Biden.
1: <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. You, you know, you can just see the spiral on this one going.
0: I mean it reminds me of like uh you know I, every white house has one you know you got you got you know they get uh white was it R- Roger Clinton oh yeah and uh uh billy carter yep and yeah every, every white house has got a a, a goofball uh a goofball a uh, relative of some sort now, it seems like hunter biden is going to be the the kind of family screw up for for the for the Bidens here,
1: oh yeah, the conspiracy stuff will be, will be uh, it'll be thick. I mean, my question is,
0: who does he bring to inauguration? That I wonder if that's like a line that's open on Vegas. Is it going to be a stripper? Is it going to be another relative's wife? Oh. Is it going to be,
1: <laughs> folks? I'm, not to to get into this, but if you want to read something that just it's a train wreck of a story, if you actually read the background on say Hunter Biden's last. Six or seven years, I mean it's it's startling to read it. It's really disgusting.
0: And now you know I will say this: he's, guy's got an addiction problem. Like that's that's without that's without question. And you know you take him out of the Biden family and put him in, you know, part of the the Brasher family in Wolf County or something, and he's going to be in jail and and living in a trailer. And it's gonna, and you're gonna say, "Oh, that's so sad." You know, we can laugh about it because Hunter's rich and he has rich people problems, like sleeping with his dead brother's wife and knocking up a stripper. You know, that that's that's rich addict problems versus, you know, poor addict problems. So it's you know, it, it it is funny in in the in the weird perverted political world that we live in, but you know, in a broader sense, it's like, dudes, dudes, an addict. Like somebody's gotta get this, guy some
1: help. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's he was making what fifty thousand dollars a month on retainer for a job he didn't do. So I mean, he could probably afford to get Smell.
0: Yeah, um,
1: Facebook facing some litigation, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Kentucky Attorney General signed on to this. I saw.
0: I uh, want you to go in for a, in a minute for kind of what the basis of the suit here is, and and your your thoughts on
1: the the legal stool on which it stands. Uh, well, it's basically antitrust litigation. There's different. There's different um, entities that have a have a piece of it. I know there's been some discussion. I think still with the Federal Trade Commission. I'm not sure if they've signed on yet. There's a group of. I want to say it's 48 states attorney general, which I mean that that's quite a uh, quite a diverse group to see that type of uh, agreement to bring an action. Um, largely it's the, the scope and extent of Facebook has gotten dramatic. So if you're playing along at home on your bingo card, um, you know, Facebook owns all has, has bought into all of these additional corporate entities. So the, the ones that people are probably most familiar with uh, let's see uh, WhatsApp is their messaging service that they bought. Um, and they, they, they played around with it. There was a big, a, a bunch of people that were in management at WhatsApp after it got bought by Facebook actually left because they were concerned about Facebook's attempt to monetize it and other things there. Uh, Instagram, um, which they bought for just a, a song, um, has turned around. And I think it's the biggest growing component of the the Facebook empire. And then uh, the other one that people may have some familiarity with, I think it's Oculus Rift is a yeah, virtual VR. reality thing. Yeah, that's probably the biggest one of those systems that's out there. Um, and basically, they're just saying that the, the scope and extent of Facebook's activity has gotten too broad um, and way outsteps so their control from an industry standpoint and a centralization standpoint. Facebook and Google really are the two that are most notorious out there. If you want to uh, not often, I'm going to send somebody to some investigative reporting from The New York Times, but they did a piece a few years ago on elections in uh, Burma, Myanmar. And the impact that Facebook had. So, what will happen in some of these third world countries is if you want to have internet access, what they will do is you'll go get your cell phone, whatever brand it is. And, you know, bandwidth is really expensive, considerably more expensive per capita than maybe what you would have in the United States. So, one area that you can go to and you don't pay for your bandwidth is when you're inside the Facebook suite. So, if you're in Facebook and Facebook's logarithms that, you know, reinforce whatever things that you select. Um, It was basically, they they figured out a way to, to help effectuate, uh, um, you know, some really harsh activities. I mean, military despotic stuff inside of of Facebook. It's really interesting story. And it shows the extent like we don't, we think about Facebook and man, kids are spending too much time on it and all these other things. I mean, Facebook has had a profound impact on, on other areas in the world that um, it's, this is going to be a huge story and it's going to be a, a battle royale, full blown WrestleMania cage match for um, next few years.
0: Well, you know, and one thing that Facebook does is is even if it's not, and you know, it's rare that they let one slip through. It, it, it's even rare that they let one like Snapchat slip through that they don't go out and buy. But it's rare that they let one get as big as Instagram before they purchase it. They're very aggressive on buying it, like being able to kind of prognosticate on different platforms and technologies that may at some point come to challenge them. And they, they snap those things up
1: very early. Yeah. I mean, who who is actually a competitor of Facebook, right? I mean, we, I guess the argument would be like, well, Facebook, MySpace, some of those things. Friendster. Is Friendster (laughs) still around? (laughs) Have you got a Friendster account, Trey? I did back in the day. I don't, I don't even know Uh, if it's still a thing. Um, No, I don't know. I mean, that's, so it's, it's a big deal. Then you see the same thing on the uh, Google side, you've got their relation, you know, they own uh, YouTube, right? Yep. Um, so it's, uh, you're, we're gonna hear a lot about it. And I think that there's a, considering the um, consensus that's been developed, and I would say it's probably going to increase with a Biden administration. Um, I think there's a good chance we could see this sucker get broken up. Yeah, because a lot of these deals were signed off on for antitrust purposes. Right. And now they're going to come back in and they're going to say, we said it was OK for you to buy Instagram. And now you can't. Yeah, but we'd, we'd, you we didn't like know Zuckerberg, you're going to do this with it. Wow. Yeah, even if you don't like Zuckerberg. I mean, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of shareholders behind that.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think both sides are mad at Facebook's. I mean, they, they just they they tried to do this weird middle of the road path on election. I don't, I don't want to call it censorship, but election, uh, you know, language monitoring, whatever you want to say it, but uh, you know, and it just, it made everybody mad. No, nobody was happy with it. So it's uh, all right. That's going to be, that's going to be an interesting, interesting thing to watch. Um, uh, casualties of COVID time. We might be able to add another to the list Uh the Lexton legends.
1: Boy, that was, I hated to hear that.
0: So, you know, I, and I've been following this for a while, major league. So for those of you who don't know the background of, of kind of how this all came to fruition and, and exactly what's happening. Cause it's not like, Oh, COVID shutting down. No, it, it's COVID has accelerated something that was already in, in the works. And major league baseball is kind of using COVID as the, as a Trojan horse to get it done. Uh, about two years ago, major league baseball announced because minor league b- baseball M M I L B is a in, it was an independent entity that was loosely affiliated with Major League Baseball, but not entirely. Um, now, and, and Major League Baseball was looking to exert more control over those organizations. Yeah, you know, the the only relationship that there was between minor league baseball teams and Major League baseball teams was the affiliation system. It's been around since the early twentieth century, where you know you have your your you know the royal the Royals had a, a low A team that was the likes to legends. And then you went from there to somewhere else. Then, you know, eventually major way up to Omaha with, uh, for, for, AAA. And then you get to the majors and they could warehouse players and train them and, 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 uh, you know, let let them develop. And the major league baseball teams paid for the player salaries mm-hmm. and, uh, coaches and trainers, everything else is at the expense of, of the team. So
1: pretty you know, much the baseball part.
0: Yeah. The, the baseball part. So, yeah. Major League Baseball has been attempting for several years to exert more control over the minor league system. And they had proposed actually the, the, the agreement that they had expired this year and Major League Baseball said, well, in advance, we're not going to, we're not going to resign it. We we want control over, over these, these things. And we're going to get rid of several levels of the minor league system when we do take it over. So Uh, they wanted to get rid of of the short season teams, which there was a number of short season teams, um, that, that would play usually after the draft after major league baseball draft was held in June. Then, then you'd have your short, your short season, uh, a, and some rookie league and, and what they call instructional league teams and usually smaller towns with, with much, much shorter commutes, um, so they want to get want to get rid of a bunch a bunch of those teams to say, basically to save to save payroll for the for the major league clubs cuz you know you get rid of of instructional league short season and rookie that's you know three teams times 70 75 play, you know 25 players so you look at 75 players plus staff yeah, so that's, that's not an insignificant chunk of change that you're saving the major league team. So there was a lot of uh it was actually a letter put out by members of Congress, I think led by Bernie Sanders, maybe um, saying, you know, we're going to take a look at your antitrust status if you get rid of all these small town teams. Because there are in a lot of areas, especially in the Northeast, like that's the identity of some of those towns is, is these is these teams. And some of these teams have been around Tom for, it was one of them, one of the teams that did not get affiliated with major league team of this restructuring. It was founded in 1880. And they're not, they're not going to have a team this year <laughs> for the first time since 1880. Uh, but so what major league baseball has done, they've, they've kind of executed this plan now because it was no minor league season this year. They've executed this plan. Um There is, they did just what they said they do. They got rid of all rookie, all instructional, all short season teams. There is a uh, low, a high, a double a triple a, and uh, what that meant was, out of the, uh, I think there's 120 slots now. That meant 42 teams, 42 cities, did not get uh, affiliations. Um, of those, I think there was 12 teams that previously played full season leagues. So that would be, that would be basically class rookie league, class A and up. It was 12 teams that did not get uh, an affiliation, and the Legends happened to be one. Um you know, the future is a little bit uncertain. I know Andy Shea, the team president has said, they're going to continue playing kind of with a, a similar model to what they did this year. I, I think a bunch of these teams are going to try to stay in existence and they're going to switch to, to independent. The independent league. So, you know, they already had the, the Florence you up in Northern Kentucky um, that have been playing independent ball for, for several years. So it sounds like the legends are going to try to, do that. I think there's a team in Evansville that does the same thing. Evansville otters, I think is what they're called. Um, so they're going, to, they're going to give it a go, but you know, what you thinking
1: about trying out
0: <laughs> Man, my arm is shot
1: i know that was part of the the deal this year right with the legends is they had uh former local college players or some of the people that were it's a former reds they,
0: you know they signed brandon yeah. phillips who'd, who'd been on several all-star teams uh played played some games from they had like ben revere who played for the phillies among other teams and went to uh went to less catholic uh uh oh robbie no who's the left-hander that played for the diamondbacks Anyway, yeah, they, you know, they, they had some Lex, Lexington guys, and you know they put put forth the product. Uh, but you know, I, I just don't know how long, because their their entire business model now has to changed, Tom, because they got to they got to pay their players,
1: which they didn't before. Okay, so one one comment and then a question back for you. Um, if you if folks on here don't know Andy Shea, Andy Shea is a nice guy. Um, gives back a ton to the community in Lexington. Um, when this when this ballpark and facility was built, I mean, one of the things that's unique about it, we, we always hear these these complaints about using public dollars for arenas and stadiums. Whether or not that that's an appropriate use of um, you know taxpayer funds, um, yeah, you know, the the challenges there, especially when you know for financial reasons, you know, teams want the newest arenas with the newest facilities because they can they can monetize it better. Um, this program, am I, am I not correct, Trey, that this was built entirely with um, private dollars? I believe so. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, I, it would be a huge loss to Lexington. I'm really hoping that it, I think, uh, you know, they've got some ideas there. And I hope that Andy can 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 make this thing go. He's, he's a good guy. Do you think, this is my, my where I was going with all this. Do you think, Trey, you know, there was that letter before talking about antitrust immunity. Do you think there's any chance that um, Congress will you know, dip into this issue and try to push back on Major League Baseball?
0: No, because I, I think enough of the, enough of the concerns were met. I, I believe that that they, they probably overcame it. I mean, you know, they got it down to their work because they were originally, they were originally going to limit everything below double A. So there only would have been like 60 teams, which, you know, you got a lot more members of Congress pissed off then. Yeah. Now you're, you're down, down to just 42. Uh, you know, I think it'll, it'll, and and, I, and I'll say this, you know, I I don't I also don't know the story behind what went down, cause like for example, um, I, I just looked up to see the stadium and uh, the Legends are moving their low A team uh, from Lexington to Columbia, South Carolina, and they have a re- new a recently updated uh, facility down there. And I know the Legends have been trying for several years to to either relocate the park or, or get some renovations done. You know, I, I don't know what was behind the decision making process. I know there are, there are several uh, affiliations that are still up in the air because you, to, to do this, you're not being asked just to sign a deal with the Royals. You're asked to, to you're being asked to sign a contract with major league baseball. And so, yeah, you know, I, I don't know what's in that contract. I don't know what was, what's in the negotiations. Um, and I'm guessing on the, from the Royals standpoint, they looked at, at, the facilities they had or that they had access to and, and said Lexington's uh, less modern and less updated than the others. We're going, you know, we're going a different direction that has more modern, more updated facilities. Um, Yeah. I'm I'm guessing that that's what's behind moving decision to move it. But uh, again, I I mean, the legends could have balked at some of the terms that MLB was making them take on. So I, you know, I just, I don't know, but you know, it will affect, you know, it, it, Lexington, not as much. Some of these small towns, Tom, I mean, that's going to be a significant effect on local economies of some of these small towns, especially like you got a lot of towns in Southwestern Virginia where they're a short season team, short season, A teams. And that's going to be a huge hit to some of those small towns like Salem.
1: Well, I think like a cultural impact too. I mean, one of the things you might define your community around, especially when you think about a stadium that might be located, you know, kind of a center downtown sort of area. Um, I don't know. It'll, it'll, I guess I don't think we've heard the, the last of this one. There's going to be a, a lot more to discuss. You know, too, I, I, I noticed in the, the release, I guess Trancy, um, at least the, I guess the men's baseball program plays at the yep. Legends field now.
0: Yep. Uh, we played one game there when I was against Trancy when I was in college. Uh, let's get to some more local political news, Tom. Uh, committee chairs are out for the state house. Uh, the, I guess the two big changes were uh, required by Stephen Rudy moving up to be ma- a majority floor leader, uh, which means he can, he was not going to be chair of appropriations and revenue. So Jason Petrie, uh, from, uh, Ecton, or from Elkton rather, uh, down Logan County, he moved up to be the, uh, to be the chair of appropriation revenue, which means he had to vacate his seat on judiciary as chair. And so the new chair of judiciary is Ed Massey from Northern Kentucky uh so that's the, the kind of the big jumping around there you know something else to keep an eye on though there there is a uh, uh another kind of it, they call them standing committees you know there there's a tight term from tom the, the ones that aren't necessarily that they, they, they don't meet like just during session uh the interim committees oh no what's uh yeah. the uh hold on i'm looking at the right term the uh I forget that there are special committees or statutory committees. Anyway, there, there's a committee called government review and oversight. Is that what's called or the right, the right. Um, oh, sorry. Pro, pro, sorry. Pro, program review and investigations. Yes. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Uh, program review and investigations. Uh, the <laughs> chairs of that word, Danny Carroll and Lynn uh, Beckler. There's a yeah. there's a, a co-chairs, one from the House, one from the Senate. Um Beckler has been taken off of that and Jason Nemus has been put on the chair of it which is very interesting because Nemus is kind of a mover and shaker in the general assembly has a pretty sharp political mind he was the the chair of the Republican campaign caucus committee this year that uh, last I checked Tom performed pretty well
1: mm-hmm. yeah Yep. Yeah,
0: very well now there's one thing to keep an eye on the one only reason I bring this up There's a reason to keep an eye on this committee, Tom, which is, I think you're familiar with this, they have a power that no other committee in the General Assembly holds.
1: Hmm, let me think. Let's see, free coffee? No, I think they all get free
0: coffee. Uh, um, is Is it subpoena powers? Oh, there we go. They have subpoena power. So, you know, you might keep an eye on what motivated Nemus to not seek maybe something. I mean, because he's he's Nemus is a, is a good attorney. He could have been chair judiciary. So you know, it, it might be interesting to keep an eye on on what's going on there and why Jason is is uh taking the reins on on that committee. um I'm hearing 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 some rumblings, some rumblings at the general assembly that there might be something something going on with that
1: committee. Uh, It stands to reason, I mean, just with the change in administration and and all of the, um, I guess I'll, shall we call it, discussions over the last 10 months with COVID that um, that's an area that could be a lot more active in the upcoming legislative cycle. Yeah.
0: um, A feel-good story for you, Tom. Uh, East Kentucky University has announced that uh, vote by the Board of Regents yesterday on uh, Thursday is approved measure to place $1,000 via direct deposit in the bank account of every full-time university employee who has been with the university since at least September 30th 30th of this year.
1: I thought it was really cool. One of the things I like about this is there's a tendency in big organizations to let something really, uh, to let like perfection get in the way of a really good proposal. And this is the type of thing, if somebody um, I can, I've been involved with several of these where they try to do something like this at the state level. And then it breaks down in this dialogue. Well, you've got high earners and you've got low earners and you've got people that have been there this amount of time and this amount of time in the fairness gap, man, how about, how about new president at EKU just pushing to do something really cool for their employees in a crappy year. So uh, yeah. shout out to uh, uh, David. Um, exactly. yeah.
0: Yeah, D- David's a good guy uh he, he's he's a friend uh it seems to be doing a, a a great job over there uh you know he was of course he was the interim after was it benson was that his name that was there before
1: gosh i don't remember but the guy had been there a while
0: yeah i think it was, I think it was michael benson and mcfadden had been his chief of staff and uh uh moved up and took it over and, and you know good good for him uh tom anything you want to say about new dean at the university of kentucky law school
1: uh question mark scratch head um whatever <laughs> yeah good good for them all right uh no i have no comment
0: mary davis is the the new new dean at the at the uk law school so good for them yeah uh Congrats. Move, moving forward there uh <laughs> Great opportunity
1: uh, i'm sure it sounds like starting tuesday uh you think, that, you think that comes with like parking you think you got parking on site i would have to assume so yeah i did not go to the university of kentucky law school although i did uh no but you were some- you're an attorney done, here in Lexington. Jeez. Yeah, and I've I've done some things there. Uh I did bar review there. Uh that there's a little story we haven't we haven't touched on yet. The complete disaster. Yeah, was, let's this, talk about that. Our oh. exam. What a cluster. God, people so should, what, 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 little, should roll. Give a little background. Only on that one. with inside the organization like this will nobody be fired over this. So basically, uh you know the bar was a mess this year just like many other things and it, there there were delays significant delays some of the delays really close to when the bar exam was going to happen so if you can imagine you graduate from law school in may you basically got like a couple of months to pull it together and then you go and take this big test and the test is supposed to be representative of all these different areas of the law it's not like the old days you know crossing the bar inside a court or you mentored with someone or oral t- anyway so bar exam gets delayed again and again um, they finally have the bar exam they go to release the results And they screw up the chart. So I I believe it was, there were three people, two or three people that um, were told that they didn't pass, but passed. And then there are like 16 people that were told initially that they passed, but they didn't. And so now it's a backtrack, like, oh, you know, gosh, we're sorry. Mm, uh, too bad. Uh, We're going to do an investigation. Oh, we won't charge you to take the exam again. (laughs) Uh, You know, a number of years ago, some states have come up with novel ways to do it. We get back to, you know, the idea of some kid coming out of school goes into this graduate regime, going to take out incredible student loans to get a job that probably for most of them doesn't pay anything like what they think about from from television and the serialized stuff out there. So uh, like the state of Wisconsin does something very different. There may be some other states that do this, but Wisconsin in particular, if you graduate from one of the ABA, American Bar Association, accredited law schools in Wisconsin, and there's two or three, if you graduate from one of them, as long as you graduate, and then you got to pass the, the background test, right? You're a lawyer. There is no bar. All that infrastructure and waste of time and energy and everything else is out the window. Maybe this is finally a catalyst to do what the legal profession needs. You don't need a third year of law school. You know what you need in that last year? You need an apprenticeship. You need a residency. You need to work with a real practicing attorney to learn something about the profession instead of what you're really doing, Trey, in that last year. Law schools make a lot of money for universities. They don't draw on a lot of facilities. They don't have labs. It's a really easy thing to fund. So th- this is an opportunity for some people in Kentucky. Use the COVID disaster that this is. And it's a disaster for these kids. Don't underestimate it. Use this as an opportunity to do something good and learn from this mistake. Kentucky should change their system. If, if you want to stop people from stop people from going to law school and taking out these loans and things before they get to the end of it. And there's some arbitrary barrier at the end of it. that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you're going to be a good practicing attorney. Yeah. But I mean, thank you. But I mean, the the bar,
0: the bar association does take ad dollars from Dale Emmons for their publications. Oh
1: my gosh. I I finally, (laughs) I got the bar journal the other day. It's another thing too. Like I'm, I'm hesitant to go down this path, but the bar has made a, a big deal out of diversity in the bar. And once again, I get the bar journal. Okay. This is the, this is the time of the year where we're coming up on elections for the bar. And I look at the front cover in my PO box and I look at it, Trey. Now there's the entire board of governors for the bar association. They're all wearing their masks, which I get it. That's very, that's very PC to do right now. Um, not a very diverse group of people on the cover of the bar journal again. So I'll be honest <laughs> with you, Trey, I don't get anything from the bar other than they are the the entity that processes my continuing education and whatever. I don't want your magazine, okay? I don't want any of that stuff. I don't want anything to do with any of your political activities. I don't care who you support, but I don't want to be a part of it. I want out. So I, I genuinely think that this is, speaking of antitrust violations, I think the Bar Association is infinitely worse than what happens in baseball. They should let us out. I don't want any of your stuff. Let me opt in for what I want. I should not have to pay a mandatory fee for political activity that I disagree with and my First Amendment rights. Thank you. Good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> I'm out.
0: I, I know a lot of physicians that feel the same way about uh, the
1: different medical associations. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, very. You know, pig, pigs fly. <laughs> I'm sure we'll. I'm sure neither of us are getting out of any of this stuff anytime soon. <laughs> but I think this is an example. I mean, It some there there have to be firings over this. You you have ruined people. This isn't hard. We're talking about scores on a spreadsheet. Double check it. Triple check it.
0: And and people and people go home and like that's a big deal passing the bar. That's a big celebration for these kids. And like no excuse. Yeah. Now now they have to tell their
1: family like oh we that didn't actually do that. Um. So I, I generally I, I would be fine with the idea of maintaining the bar for people that want to transfer in from other municipalities, or at least create create a pathway. If you want to do a residency internship, call it what you will, to get some practical skills in the in the real world of, of becoming a lawyer, you know, let, let's 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 make another path because the bar isn't getting it done. It it has I, the, it tells you that you're good at taking a test, which really has absolutely nothing to do with the practice of law. Now, keep in mind, I mean, I passed it; it wasn't a big deal. I kind of enjoyed the process, but <laughs> play a lot of golf, you know, I mean, it was, you treat it like a job. You had an eight to five, you studied and then you had all your time. So there you go.
0: Um, one more story and we'll get out of here, Tom. Yeah. This is coming for, to us from w, uh, WTKR news in uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia, but That's it's a, the- uh, Recall has been issued after a erectile dysfunction medicine and a depression medicine were mixed up during packaging. <laughs> the FDA said Avcare of Pulaski, Tennessee, is voluntarily recalling one lot of Sildenafil 100 milligram tablets and one lot of Trazodone 100 milligram tablets to the consumer level. This is because of a product mix up of the two separate products inadvertently bringing packaged together, being packaged together during bottling at a third party facility. An intentional consumption of sildenafil may pose serious health risk to consumers. Online medical issues, for example, sildenafil may interact with. So anyway, yeah, this this company somehow screwed up and put uh, Viagra in packaging for a treatment of major depressive disorder, and people with major depressive disorder were getting a uh, getting Viagra.
1: <laughs> I mean, you could have some interesting results on both sides of that. <laughs> uh, i mean i might find might find another
0: another marketable <laughs> cure for for depression you know
1: <laughs> i mean just oh God. I, I mean
0: that, that's that's like the dream of every of every drug company though right to, to find something else that their drug can cure because then that allows you to extend your extend your your patent on a little bit longer
1: so, yeah, wasn't, wasn't that Propecia back in the day? they It was an anti, um, anti-rejection drug for, like, organ transplants. Yeah, then and they, they found like, it to help grow hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's got growing all his hair.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, well. Huh. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. wow. uh, you got anything else for the week, Tom, before we before we, we head on head on into Friday?
1: No oh, way, man. I need to get out of here. I'm talking too much. All right.
0: Uh, well, as always, as always, you can catch us uh, wherever you stream podcasts, Google, uh, Apple Play, uh, a- Apple Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify, all the major podcasting sites. If you get us on Apple, please be sure to give us a review. And uh, we're back with you on Tuesday with state Senate Minority Leader Morgan McGarvey on another Kentucky Politics Weekly.